0: This episode is sponsored by FX's Fleischman is in Trouble, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Claire Danes, Lizzie Kaplan, and Adam Brody.
2: This drama tells the story of recently divorced Toby Fleischman, who dives into the world of app-based dating with the kind of success he never had in his youth. Then, his ex-wife disappears,
0: leaving him with their two children and no hint of her return. FX's Fleischman
2: is in Trouble, streaming November 17th, only on Hulu.
0: Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording not-so-live from L.A. Folks, I want to give a roundup of the bullshit that has transpired this week. You know, I I spoke about this yesterday, and I said that there are... A myriad of people who want us to be satisfied with incremental change, who are making pronouncements about what in fact is inside of the Build Back Better plan and the fact that it was dramatically cut in half because of two senators who are so in the pocket of corporations and the wealthy that they don't see the needs of 330-some-odd million Americans, that they don't care about the needs of 330-some-odd million Americans. I think that one of the greatest tragedies of the last, I don't know, 18, 19 months at this point of COVID is not just the deaths. That obviously is a major tragedy, Over 700,000 Americans have perished. The other greatest tragedy that I see unfolding right now is our government's inability to use what we learned about broken systems, broken agencies, and use this chance, this opportunity under the Biden administration to create massive, progressive overhaul of our country. If there was nothing else that we learned during this global health pandemic, it's that our schools don't have the right infrastructure, that there are some schools that have had HVACs from decades ago, right? That our children across this country were breathing in Polluted air before COVID, right? That there were no air purifiers. That's just the basics. That there were children across the country who we knew didn't have access to broadband, right? Making it nearly impossible to be able to keep up with their counterparts who may be better off economically. We knew that, that child care costs in this country are out of control, forcing parents and caregivers to have to make critical decisions between whether or not they're going to be able to pay for a mortgage or their rent and also pay for child care, which in some states, like the one that I live in in New York and the one that I'm currently in right now in California have some of the highest childcare costs in the country where you're looking at maybe three, four, five thousand $5,000 a month, right? If you have more than one child that requires care, that we've had no real investment in universal pre-K and all of these things that, The pandemic illuminated for us. What are some of the other things that we have seen? The historic amount of storms. The intensity of those storms. Fires. Hurricanes. Tornadoes. And how they cost billions upon billions of dollars in repair. And so to not look at these really critical times that we are living in and not look at where the opportunity lies for us to improve upon broken systems and instead decide that either we're just going to continue to kick the can down the road or be happy with the crumbs that we are given. You know, I I was never one of those people that believed that government was broken, right? Obviously, because I've spent my entire professional career working in and around the federal government, right? Whether I was working on Capitol Hill or as a lobbyist or as a advisor on policy or working in media, speaking on the issues that are plaguing our country. But I always felt like, well, we've given more information with more people galvanized right, more citizens paying attention and demanding better, that we would get better. Right? So that was the whole premise behind starting Woke AF in the first place. It was like, well, if more people had been conscious, right, to the bullshit in 2015 and 2016, then maybe we wouldn't have gotten a Donald Trump. Maybe Trumpism wouldn't have been able to take hold and spread like a cancer across this country in the way that it has. But the reality is, is that when I sit back and I look around now and I think about how it has been 10 months since the Biden administration entered into power, and I keep asking everyone that I come into contact with from various, you know, walks of life, do you feel better? There is not a person that I am coming across that says, yes, I do. So what does that mean about people's thoughts and feelings about how our federal government is working for us? It means that more people are feeling let down, disappointed, angry with the ways in which they're seeing this political theater play out around this legislation and others. I mean, it was just over the summer when Cory Booker was holding a microphone saying, well, after eight months of, quote unquote, good faith negotiations with Republican Tim Scott, we're not getting any police reform. Regardless of the fact that as a country and as the world, watch George Floyd have his last breath, have his life squeezed out of his body by a police officer. And before George Floyd and after George Floyd, too many black and brown people have been killed by police. But over the summer,
2: our political leaders walked in front of cameras and threw up their hands. Then, It has
0: been the same situation with voting rights, which in my opinion should have been the first thing outside of the rollout for vaccines should have been the first thing, big initiative that this administration was taking on following the death of fucking John Lewis. It is not enough to put people's names on legislation that you have no fucking intention or strategy to pass. Oh, the George Floyd Policing Act. Yeah, and it's as dead as George Floyd is. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Wonderful marker, but that's dead in the water too. But at the same time, that two of these important pieces of legislation that would begin to reshape and reimagine broken systems, then they want to turn around and pass Juneteenth legislation. And then at the same time, make Juneteenth a federal holiday. But guess what? You can't teach it in damn near half of the schools in this country because they now have bans on actual, real, and inclusive and comprehensive American history otherwise known as critical race theory. So when I look around right now, and I'm sitting back, and I'm thinking to myself, is government broken? Like, are we just done? Because we realize just how ineffective our political leaders are, because they are so bought and sold by the people who fill their political coffers. Like if Citizens United had never happened, right? If that bullshit Supreme Court didn't decide that we could just have an influx of money into our political system, do you think that Kirsten Cinema would have found herself across the pond when major negotiations would happen because Her constituents' eyes would have been on her and what she was doing, but she's not beholden to them. So she could care less. I mean, you saw her presiding over the Senate in a denim jacket, flipping her hair like she's some teenage girl trying to get the attention of some boy or girl in their class. That's how serious she looked. So without deep accountability, And dare I say, actual fear of what your constituents will do, namely voting you out. Then what are you actually doing? Where is the, where is your get up and go? You have none. I told you yesterday, there's not one billionaire in West Virginia. But right now, Joe Manchin doesn't want a billionaire tax. Because it's the billionaires that feed his energy company, that are his shareholders. Forty years this man has been representing a very destitute state in this country. For 40 years. Which tells you a couple of things. Either the people are so desperate and so unable to put food on their table to go and pick up and fill prescription drug medications because they don't have enough money. They're so busy and underwater with their day-to-day that they don't have the attention to wonder, what is my senator actually fucking doing for me? And I think on both Democrats and Republican sides that that's the way they fucking want it. Keep people in despair. Keep them in dysfunction. So, that then they're not paying enough attention to know that you are literally picking their pockets. That you are literally doing nothing that you took an oath to do. I said yesterday, it is time, I believe, for us to move away from our focus on the presidency and on Congress. Not to not vote, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying, the fact is, is that the federal level ain't where things are at. It is at the state and local level. And you know who knows that? Fucking Republicans. Who are running from, for everything from dog catcher to school board to city council to state representatives. Because they know that they have no policies that anybody gives a shit about. And as a matter of fact, they know they don't need them. Because when you're the party of no, no one is looking to you to offer a damn thing. They're just looking for you to roll back the clock so that you can feel better about your racism, so that you can feel accepted in taking off your hood and letting people know how you really feel. But the question that I continue to ask is, if we know that to be true, those of us who have the ability to be tapped in, then why aren't? We messaging that. How is it that our government can be so ineffectual and these people hold jobs for fucking decades and do absolutely nothing? It's why I ask myself at the end of every week and midweek and at the beginning of every week, what am I doing? Because I want to actually be of service because unlike our Representatives, right now, federal representatives. I want to be of service. I want to help people be better, do better, think clearer, understand their power, and wield it in a strategic manner. I try and inform as many people as possible. This is one of the reasons why we're going to be doing full video of the show, but then offering the audio for free because I said, I need to reach more people. I need to do what I can do in my little corner of the universe. Because our democracy is slipping away and it's not even slipping, it's being pushed over a cliff. And the people that we call on to represent us and be our voices are the ones that are silent right now with their hands in their pockets, looking everywhere but at us. And it's time that we start looking at each other and ourselves and saying, what is next? If this is broken and we can't reimagine where we go with this current system, then what do we do with it? Coming up next, friends, is my conversation with a brilliant, brilliant Nigerian British artist, Asiko. We have a deep conversation about his understanding of blackness and how he uses his understanding and his depth of knowledge and his Nigerian roots to create some of the most beautiful pieces I've ever seen. And if you are on Instagram, look up Asiko, A-S-I-K-O, and look at his work as we get into this conversation about art, about beauty, about blackness, and about purpose. Folks, I am really excited to welcome to Woke AF for the very first time, uh, an artist that I, that I came upon on Instagram when I decided that I was no longer interested in just following politicos and no longer in, interested in misery and wanted to fill my feed with beauty. Seiko is an incredible artist that encapsulates the beauty of blackness and the ornation and the spirituality and the royalty. thats what. Those are all of the words uh, that come to my mind when I see your work. And so I just want to start off um, with one, appreciating you, because in a time when still, regardless of what part of the, the Black diaspora you come from, you still are not inundated with black beauty. You still are not inundated with black success, um, and, 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 excellence and innovation, um, in a way that we should be in the, in the 21st mm. century. So I want to first ask you, you know, about being, about the label artist and what that, what that means to you and why you've chosen, um, the subjects that you have.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Daniel, for allowing me to um, talk. Uh, it's always good to talk about the work and it's good to uh, share ideas. So for me, this is always a good thing. Um, so my story is a strange one. I, so I didn't start out as an artist, and that's an interesting word, artist. I think I'm a human being navigating his life. And navigating who he is and how he fits in the world. And then art is my form of expression, my way to talk to the world, my way to talk about the things that inspire me, but also talk about the things that piss um, me off and talk about the things that I uh, I love, but then the things that I wanna shout about. And so art is kind of my way to express and to talk about those things. Um so I uh, the, the word artist has kind of come with that whole um with that whole uh, um, I guess paradigm. Um but I didn't start out as an artist. I started out, you know, um, I've got Nigerian parents so I started out as a um I have a master's degree in, in bioinformatics and I'm a chemist um, you know trained in university and I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for you know quite a couple of years, and then. Wow. Um, but I was always interested in art, and it was something that fed my soul. You know, my dad was a collector, and he had work all around, and I was also interested in European art. So, a lot of these things kind of fed me. And then I think when it was time, and when my work had developed, I took that progression to become. I guess the word is full-time artist. Um so it's been an interesting journey. Um, but I find for me it's a way to talk about the things that I want to talk about. It's uh it's my journey, understanding blackness. You know, I didn't really just fool with the word blackness till I moved to the UK. Um mm. it was in the UK that I found out I was black. Uh I, in Nigeria where I lived till I was about sixteen, seventeen, I didn't think I was black. I just thought I was I was just a guy. And then I came to kind and I found out I was black. And then, so um, when I grew older, I, those were the things I started to talk about uh, through my work, so to celebrate uh, my blackness, but also to um, talk about the things that hurt me in society.
0: Was there in your journey, which is so interesting, right? I think that we all enter into, I, I'm a, 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 a child of of immigrants uh, to the united states myself my family is from jamaica and you know there is always this uh idea that there's only certain track that you can go into right because your family wants you to have great success and great success means finan- mm. financial stability right Um, what was the tipping point moment or was there a tipping point moment for you when you are, you have your master's and you're working in pharmaceuticals and a chemist and you're just like, so I don't want to do this anymore, or this is not allowing me Mm. to really express my full self. I still feel like I'm shelving a part of myself. Was there a moment or a series of moments that led to you saying, this is what, this is who I want to be or how I want to express myself full time?
1: So uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, there was no definitive moment. There wasn't some sort of eureka explosion about this is the time. Um, And I think, you know, as, as, as we get older, we, we have to be smart about the about the sort of um steps we take and for me it was actually a gradual thing and i was in no rush because i actually did it once where i did quit everything and you know, i said you know i'm going to be a full-time artist quit my job and you know i saved some money and it didn't but i know why it didn't work because i wasn't the artist that i am now i wasn't fully leaned into who I'm supposed to be as a person I don't fully activated that part of myself and it was when I started when I went through a, a self-discovery journey of knowing that actually I just shouldn't be making work for other people I should be making work about my journey and then I and and in some ways that was a transition from being a photographer to being an artist um, where the work has more meaning and it has more depth to it uh, so there wasn't that definitive uh, moment and for some people there is um, but I didn't have the luxury of that you know I, I'm I, I'm married and you know I can't just there are two people involved in that equation so I can't just jump everything and just say hey you know what we're, we're gonna go and live on somebody's couch right now and, and be a what? Well, what's the word uh, a struggling artist and uh, the Nigerian narrative, Nigerians don't do struggling, you know um, um, not have any money in their pockets kind of artist, that, it doesn't work in our narrative and those are some of the things I picked for my parents, as much as it was challenging to express to them this is what I do, um, I've learned a lot of things about how to take care of family, of how to be responsible, of how to build a life And I learned that those bits from them. So I'm a balance between both of those worlds and I've learned to navigate them well over the past couple of years.
0: What was it about moving to the UK that had you really begin to understand your blackness in the perspective of other people's view of you, right? Because you understood yourself in one context, living in Nigeria, being around people who, who look like you, right. Who are in all sorts of positions of power, right. From, uh, prime ministers and presidents and, you know, um, nurses and doctors and all of these different things. Um, how did you understand then your, black or begin to understand your blackness through what I'm assuming is the white gaze, right. Is through white people's, mm. is through white people's mm. eyes as opposed mm. through your own, how, how did that come mm. about?
1: So, huh. this is so late. Um, hmm. So, first, uh, living in Nigeria, there's a lot of imports of Western culture. So, from TVs to films. So, you in some ways, you start to see a reflection of what other people feel Black people are. Um, you know, so the narrative is... Uh, he's a gangbanger or 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 drug dealer or or, or, or or he's he's the person that's always gonna get killed before you know uh, the the film gets anyway before we get halfway through the film he's gonna be killed. Which right. is interesting because black people have this amazing self preservation. So if there was a real life situation, the black people are definitely not gonna get killed first. So I don't understand how the how it goes like that in film um but so I started to see through this influx of western culture you start to get an idea of how you're going to be viewed but it didn't prepare me for when I actually moved to UK because I moved at about 16 17 Mm -hmm. but also in some subconscious way I don't think I appreciated being black I, I just kind of went you know I'm just a you human know, being, Just I'm a kid, I'm living my life. But it was because of the stuff I'd been fed. So I moved to the UK and then there was this whole thing of how people approached me, um, how people pronounced my name, how they thought that you know we swung from trees in Africa and we didn't have any technology. And th- this is always the interesting one. Um, you speak really good English for a Nigerian or for an African. Oh, I've heard that one like a thousand times. It's it's not even a thing. <laughs> it's, it, it's actually not a thing. Um, and sometimes I will cheekily reply, um, we speak better English than you. We know how to use consonants, verbs and proverbs well in a sentence. I'll respond like that in a sort of cheeky way. Um, so you start to get an idea that you are different because mm-hmm. of the color of your skin
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I didn't fully appreciate that until I started as I, I started to get older so I lived in Brixton when I first moved to the UK Brixton is likened to Brooklyn it's okay. now an area that's been redeveloped a lot of black people you know from the Caribbean lived in, lived in Brixton but it's gone through a gentrification and now that's not the case anymore. Um, So I lived there and I was surrounded by a few, uh, quite a few black people. But once you step out of Brixton, you start to see how people view you and how they, they you know, butcher your name and not in a, I I don't understand how to pronounce your name, but in a sort of derogatory way. Right. I don't, I don't, I'm not even
0: going to trouble myself to and extend exactly. myself because you're not deserving of exactly. even the proper pronunciation. Oh yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. And, and, and you see these sorts of things are, uh, there's a certain sort of superiority. Um, you know, I've come to live in your country. i come to school here. I'm a British citizen. You know, I was born here when I was a kid, but I've come to school here and, you know, I'd be gone back. Um, but there's a certain level of superiority. To how people view you and that comes across in the way they speak to you. So all of these things were things that I kind of took in and absorbed. And um there's a certain level of being a Nigerian where I'll push back and say, no, you you can't talk to me like that or mm-hmm. you can't you can't behave like um behave like that to me. But the challenge is there is still a taking on. We yeah. are human beings and they will still be there's levels of, of build-up and in some ways can cause trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are the sorts of things that affect you know me as a person and affect a lot of you know, Nigerians or Black people or Black British people who live here. Um, so that, that whole thing had kind of been simmering under the surface. So for me, when I started to create, I found an avenue to speak about Black people in a positive light, um, more so women. Um, I, I My narrative has been, you know, my mother was quite a strong, powerful uh, Nigerian woman, and she kind of shaped my ideas of womanhood. And then my, my dad's sisters as well were quite powerful characters. And then, you know, growing up in the UK, I've met all these beautiful, amazing women married to an amazing woman. And so all of these different things have kind of started to shape my my narrative of women and that feeds into my work. And then one of the challenges is whenever I go back to Nigeria, I see how women are treated and women are treated as second class citizens. Mm-hmm. And some of these things that come from colonial um, narratives which have fed into our culture. And so women are treated, you know, unfairly. So I want to edify women with my work as well and show that women are beautiful, and black women are amazing. And, you know, they are the pillars of the community and of the society. If women were gone and the sort of contributions they, you know, contribute to our societies, if those weren't there, societies will crumble. And people might not fully agree with that, but it is true. They would crumble because, at the grassroots, women are really important in holding a
0: I mean, I, I I could not agree more, and it and it is always shocking to me. Women make up, you know, half of the world, right? I I'm in I'm in the United States. We make up over half of the population in the United States, and yet when you look at mm-hmm. who is in power and who has power, the numbers are paltry in comparison to the actual, mm. you know, to the actual demographics of 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 women mm. uh, in this country and around the world. And I mean, you know, we, we there are mm-hmm. so many campaigns that have been, that have been done about letting women learn and letting women, you know, lead and doing all of these things because at the essence of it, you know, women are essential, right. And not just mm-hmm. essential in the way in, in how patriarchy wants to see us as essential, which is just as producers, right. We manufacture mm-hmm. babies. And so that is our mm-hmm. sole purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so much, it, it there. It, it's so much more expansive than that. Um, There is – and I am um, not an artist, but I appreciate art. And the thing that I appreciate, particularly around some of the pieces that I've seen with you, is the way that the blackness comes through. It is the lighting. It is the depth. Like the the only thing that I can think of is richness. It is – I mean, it is – I've never, I've never seen anything like it. And I want to talk to you about that, about this, this Mm. richness and in the lines and the, you know, there's a particular series and forgive me because the name of it is not coming to me, but it is a particular series and the, the women are in a range of what looks like warrior attire. And there, Mm -hmm. and, and it is like this expression of femininity of power. But again, there is, it's the skin and the color. It looks like I could reach through and just grab it. Can you speak about Mm. that? And like that, the technique and, and, and the, and the thoughtfulness behind it.
1: Yeah, of course. So um, for me, skin's important. Um, It's texture. Uh, how it reflects light, um, those things, especially with black skin, just how that looks. It's got this richness, and, and you know, I mean, in the UK, we don't get that much sun here, which is not great. But in 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 Nigeria or whenever I travel in in a hot climate, you just see how the sun bounces off, and there's a there's a shine, and it's you know our skin is beautiful and it's just amazing to see and for me I want to photograph that and it's not just photographing it from a from a um from mean this is how I saw it it's also about this is how I feel about it this is how yeah. that black skin makes me feel it's powerful it's beautiful it's something to be celebrated it might not be prevalent in media but this is how i see black people this is how i see black women and i photograph them there and i fo- and i try as much as i can to um show complexity because there is a complexity there Um to show strength to show vulnerability to show um, um all these different emotions that we carry uh, as, as the black race and those for me are the ways because technique is great um in terms of showing me things, but it's more how does that make me feel mm-hmm. and how do I photograph that, or how do I make that in a photograph and I think that's kind of how I approach uh, when I'm photographing women, so in some cases I want to show their strength in some cases I want to show their vulnerability it depends on the story um I did a body of work called um conversation and it was about FGM, female genitalia mutilation, which is a cultural practice, Mm -hmm. which still happens in um, Nigeria and in parts of Africa. Uh, And for me, I wanted to show the vulnerability, but I just didn't want to show the vulnerability of what women go through with these uh, acts of violence committed against them. I also wanted to make sure that these women or whoever I was photographing Still had a level of dignity and grace which black women exhibit you know they are you know black women go through a lot, and you know it's a sad thing. I think they're at the bottom of preaching when you look at race mm-hmm. and gender, yep so they they go through all this stuff, but then they still hold their heads high and they are still powerful in the midst of how they are treated or portrayed in 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 our society so for me i want to be able to show aspects of that complexity and so in that work conversations i spoke to women who've been through this who've been cut uh in their in their um, teams and i wanted to show so i used all these conversations that i had with them to make the work um and you know the work came about because i'd never heard of it so as a man Sitting in a place of privilege,
2: mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm.
1: nothing had ever happened to me like that. And hearing that, I thought, "Oh my God, this is not even something I thought happened in my culture." And culture is something I love and I want to promote. So for me, it was important to talk about that, which is something you know that should stop. You know, as cultures, as we evolve as human beings, our cultures evolve, and and things need to. Some things need to be edited out; we need yeah. to know that it happened, uh, but those things need to be removed from our portrait not our society so for me it's it's that whole thing. I want to show the beauty and edify who we are as black people
0: i mean it's just your work is so extraordinary and a an word came into my head. I kept trying to express to friends when I would send your page to them and say look at look at this art like look like you know and i kept trying to like articulate what the what it reminded me of and it is the way that you create the depth of texture of skin it's like looking at the most fertile soil that you've ever seen mm. it is so rich and so black and so and like where life is coming from it's, and, and that mm. is, it's like, it's the, it's the texturedness of, of like the most fertile soil is how, like, is mm. how I see it when, when I, when I look at your art. Um, you know, last question for, for you is the world as a whole is in such turmoil, right now, um, racial reckonings happening in the United States, as well as, um, in the UK and just around the globe, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of pervasive white supremacy and how it has Mm. been, how we have been indoctrinated in so many ways. How do, how do you come to understand how art can help articulate that reality, that pain, that frustration—like, how do you go about thinking about encapsulating the this now that we're in in your in your work?
1: Hmm, good question. Um, I think there should be a level of authenticity, and that's one of the things that I try to show in. Because I'm in this world, uh, I, I'm, I'm, my work is inspired by you know, my African heritage, but also my British heritage. You know, I've, I've spent more of my life here than when I was, than when I lived in Nigeria. So I've, I've grown up here, thank you. But I, I think it's, and, and I'm, I've seen this as a way within uh, the Black community. There is a very strong um, move to talk about the things that we are going through. It is very important to talk about the narrative of who we are, and I feel people are—you know—artists are being very authentic to who they are and talking about the injustice they feel or or, or what they see on the news or what they see in society. Um, I, I created a body of work called A Black Life Matters
2: mm-hmm. and it
1: was after George Floyd's uh, passing um, in the summer of last year mm-hmm. and you know just seeing that happen made me confront my issues as well with racism and you know just hearing all the news cycles I mean you you are very much you watch the news and you are in the news cycles and you understand that if you take everything on board, you can just wake up
0: reading and Every day.
1: It, it can just affect, exactly. It affects you. And so what I find and what I feel I'm blessed with is as an artist to use my work to as a form of therapy for myself. Mm-hmm. But also to be able to speak to the world about being black. Uh, living in the UK or being Black living in America from you know, conversations that can be friends. And I think we need to be authentic and also uh, empathic to each other because we all have this just one plan. This is it. There's no other, there's no I know other planet
2: we're going yep. to.
1: So we have to work together. And as an artist, mine is to contribute who I am as an artist, to be able to talk in spaces about my journey. Because I feel like the more we get to understand each other, the more we get to understand where we're coming from, then we are a bit more open to hear uh, each other's journey, to hear each other's conversation. I mean, as you know, just being online can be quite a crazy place. You know, I can put up a body of work and some people just come for me and, you know, and they have their opinions. Um, But I I feel I wish we were a bit more open to each other and to listen to each other um, and not be so fast to say, oh, you're cancelled or you're cancelled. It's it's, we we, we need to. there's, There's a lot of growing that we all need to do together as people. And so for me, my work is to be able to talk about my experience, to, to be able to share a bit of my world. And, you know, I hope in the, in the hope that you know a bit about me and we can have conversations. We can sit down and not fight, but have conversations. We might not agree and we're not supposed to all agree. There's six, seven billion people on the planet. Yeah. Six, seven billion. We're not going to agree, but we do it with dignity. And we do it with grace, and we do it with empathy, and I, and that's what I hope, in some way, in some way, my work um, will will bring to the world. And um, you know, it will be a legacy thing. My work is not just about me; it's also for people who are going through what I go through, or or, or Nigerians who've moved here, for so them to understand what it is to be in Niger- and to understand uh, the space of women in society.
0: So beautiful. I I can't express to you how gorgeous and powerful and honest your work is. Um, And I am just so fortunate for the opportunity that I stumbled upon it and then was able to get into conversation with you it it, sur- it surpassed my my expectations <laughs> so much.
1: Thank you very much
0: um, is it will your I, I just um quickly for for those who would love to see your your work does it will you sh- do you show in the states do you have a a, a show in the states coming or um a virtual virtual?
1: Oh am uh, not at the moment. And people can stay stay or uh, follow me on Instagram. There is, I'm always announcing new things. Um, I have got a gallery I work with called September Grey there in Atlanta. So hopefully we'll be showing some work. But I was I was very fortunate this year. Uh, we did, uh, uh the images from a Black Lives Matters uh, were moving around the US. Uh, so they showed in New York, Atlanta, Somewhere in LA, I think in Miami. And this was the work about, you know, uh, where I was working with the flag, um, the British and American flag, and it was about you know, that period when George Floyd passed. Yeah. How yeah. I felt about the institution. So that work did move around the US uh, during, was it this summer? I think, yes, it was this summer, uh, earlier on in the summer of this year, which was great. Um, but um, There are a few things in the pipeline, so hopefully uh, next year they will be in. But, yeah, looking forward to sharing new work.
0: I will have my eyes peeled because I would just love the opportunity to see the work in person. um, And hopefully you would be able to meet you in person as well. Um, Asiko, thank you so very much um, for your time and for your talent. I just really appreciate you. Thank
1: you so much. And uh, thanks for the opportunity.
0: That is it for me, dear friends, today on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck.